Well, this has certainly been one of the more fascinating game weeks I can remember in my nearly two decades of Sooner fandom. The national, local, and fan reaction to Oklahoma's escape against Army last weekend has been truly fascinating to watch. Never have I seen a game garner so many sets of diverse opinions. I'm not going to relitigate my thoughts here in the opening take. I thought I made myself crystal clear where I stood on Monday's pod. If you didn't hear, I would really recommend going back and listening to the show from Monday. But what I think is clear in the aftermath of the Army game is that Saturday's showdown with Baylor is truly one of the more interesting late September games I can remember that doesn't involve a top 10 showdown. After two weeks of looking like a legitimate national title contender, OU has posted back-to-back weeks of being just okay against Iowa State and being truly bad against Army. In comes Matt Rule's Baylor team. They're at 3-1 with not much fanfare. They've already tripled their win total from last season, albeit against an easy schedule, and they lost by 13 on their home field to the only team they've played with a pulse. However, that doesn't mean this isn't a team that presents challenges. Charlie Brewer, their quarterback, has had real success completing forward passes in college, more so than any quarterback OU has faced so far this year. Denzel Mims is already plenty experienced torching Oklahoma's secondary, and he's basically a physical carbon copy to Iowa State's Hakeem Butler. Also, remember Jalen Hurd? The former Tennessee running back will be playing in his third collegiate game against Oklahoma, interestingly enough. He had over 100 total yards of offense in 2014 in Norman, and then added 109 yards and a touchdown the next season in Knoxville. He's playing receiver for the Bears now, but still presents a lot of physical challenges. Baylor has some playmakers. Everyone, I think, would admit that. But still, this is a game that Oklahoma really should win. However, come on, be honest with me. You don't have any idea what the defense is going to look like in this game, do you? Has there ever been another game where literally any outcome from the defense seems plausible? If they give up 600 yards and 40 points, I wouldn't be particularly surprised. If they give up 250 yards, 10 points, and sacked Brewer six times, also wouldn't be particularly surprised. That is absolutely an insane range of outcomes. That has been made possible by their Jekyll and Hyde tendencies from the first month of the season. In the first two games, we saw OU's two best defensive performances, in my opinion, since the 2015 season. Game three was eerily reminiscent of the glitches we saw in 2017, and last week against Army was flat out the worst defensive performance I've seen from OU in my lifetime. This is insane, and I've decided it's awesome. I cannot wait to see how this game will play out on Saturday. I'm really fired up. Either way, it's certainly going to produce a ton of interesting evidence as to who the 2018 Oklahoma Sooners are. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. It is Sermon. Sermon's got the first down and more. Still on his feet. Sermon, touchdown! 34 yards by the true freshman. Sermon. Why not? Touchdown! Nine yards by Trey Sermon. It's been all Sermon. He's preaching here in this fourth quarter. Indeed he was. Trey Sermon, a monster fourth quarter last year in Oklahoma's 49-41. Way too close victory over Baylor in Waco. Sermon did not get a touch in that game until the fourth quarter. 
and still finished with 148 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. With Sermon assuming the lead role with Rodney Anderson out, he's the perfect person to welcome us into this latest edition of West of Everest. Hey everybody, I'm Lee Benson. You heard my brother Grant at the top of the show with his opening take, which I will actually challenge him on here momentarily. He has no idea what's coming. He has no idea what's coming. And man, though, I got to say, a lot of thoughts, like Grant, had sa- like Grant said, have been shared throughout Sooner Nation since that Army game. There are those who have been critical of the defense, like Grant and I have, and there are those who have defended the defense, and I've got at least two people in mind who I will not name out loud because I'm too much of a chicken to do so. Honesty is key. Plus, there's a segment of fans who've been defending the Sooners defense as well. Got to put that out there. I'm not sure how much Grant and I will continue talking about this Army and the triple option, all that stuff today, but let me say this. If Oklahoma comes out and plays very well on defense against Baylor on Saturday, that performance against Army will be immediately forgotten. Speaking of Baylor, Grant and I may have two very different assessments of the Bears. Which side am I on and which side is Grant on? Or have we changed our minds since the last time we talked? He'll have to listen to find out. First off, though, I want to thank all of you who have subscribed to the show recently and have also left us a nice rating and a review. There's still time to add your two cents if you have not done so yet. West of Everest is available on iTunes and also on SoundCloud. And I want to remind you to like the show on Facebook. Also, follow Grant and I on Twitter. I am at Lee Benson News 9, at Lee Benson News and the number 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. Finally, if you're still using email and you want to chat with us, send us a message through Gmail, you can send it to westofeverest at gmail.com. All right, let's talk some football. And uh, all right, Grant, so a couple things in your opening take that I wanted to just push back on. That that was not the worst defensive performance you've ever seen from Oklahoma. That's ridiculous. I mean, I can think of two off the top of my head, the 2014 game against Baylor, which was just atrocious, and then the Texas Tech game with Patrick Mahomes were the worst football games ever. The defense was brutal and horrible and awful in those two games. I'd say a lot worse than the Army game. And then also, too, lastly, you said it was the last the first two weeks – of the season were some of the best defensive performances you've seen since 2015. What about Ohio State last year? That was an incredible defensive performance by Oklahoma. Come on. Incredible. I mean, they weren't dominant against Ohio State. Ohio State left a lot of points on the board in that game. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I, you know, if I'm not living in the moment, who is, man? Um, but certainly, <laughs> certainly that Army performance, that was one of, you know, probably one of the five worst I've ever seen. Um, you're right. The, the, the 2014 debacle against Baylor was worse. I will, I will grant you that. Um, and also I, I suppose I, it just, just on principle, I guess I can't excuse that, that performance in Texas tech, you know, in Lubbock against Texas tech in, in 2016, that was pretty, pretty atrocious as well. But okay. How about, how about this? Was that maybe the most frustrating defensive performance you've ever seen? Uh, no, I mean, yes and no. It was frustrating. I, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta, I heard a, I was listening to the Sooner Scoop podcast. So hat tip to those guys. And one of the the guys, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Bob. He brought up how the Army game kind of reminded him of the that 2014 Baylor game with the with all the little short passes that Oklahoma never adjusted to and never changed anything. And and Bob was saying that the Army game was the running equivalent of that. And I thought that was pretty pretty interesting because it just once again and I said it on the last podcast it was just the unwillingness to adjust to what they were seeing was the most frustrating part and it was the same thing in 2014 against Baylor and watching Army run the football 
so yeah, I, it was incredibly frustrating in that sense. So I think you, I think you do have a point there. Yeah, and so I mean, we're not going to spend too much time on Army here, Lee. But hey, all just just so all of our listeners know, I this, this Army game has clearly whacked me out. I mean, completely. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm to the point where I don't even really know what to expect. Um, that that performance just shocked me so much uh, because you're right; they showed a complete unwillingness. To, to change what they were doing and they were in a dogfight from the second quarter on showed a complete unwillingness to change what they were going to do it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me um so like you're saying you know that's that's one of the reasons why this Baylor game coming up is is so interesting because I mean what are we going to get we have no idea and so um Lee, th- this week I think has just been really you know it's there's like I said in the opening take, just so many diverse opinions that I've seen. So many people whose um, whose opinions that I respect, I have completely, um, I, I I've completely diverged from and thought on this army game, and I think that's interesting. So just as an example, um, you know, there's some guys, uh, a guy who I really uh, whose opinion I really value, Alan Kinney. He's a he's a blogger, blatant homerism. If you haven't read him, go go read some of his stuff. He's really good. Um, he's not particularly concerned about the army game and he, he kind of, he kind of buys into the whole, this was a one-off thing. And, you know, I, he doesn't really mind the fact that they didn't change a lot and said, he, and said he kind of, he kind of liked the, the cockiness shown by the coaching staff. And I just think that's interesting. Um, because I, I hate that. I think it's a, I think it's a huge black mark on the coaching staff. Um, so I, I, I just think it's really interesting. So you guys, you know, guys like Alan Kinney, who I really like and respect, um, you had mentioned Bob from Sooner Scoop. All the Sooner Scoop guys, um, kind of for the first time in a long time, I feel like um, I uh, their thoughts on that game and my thoughts align perfectly, which is which is fairly rare. Um, so I, it's been a really interesting week, and it's I, I think uh, it's it's been a weird week because there just really hasn't been any talk of Baylor at all, which is you know interesting. If, if you if if you would have told me that three years ago and or three or four years ago that Baylor was coming into town and no one really cared, I'd be surprised. Um, it's just, it's just weird. I, I'm really looking forward to this game just to see how they, how they react to everything. All right. Well, let's talk about Baylor then we could talk about army forever, but uh, frankly, I kind of want to, but I don't have a whole lot of time because on these Wednesday podcasts, I'm always very limited with time. Uh, you know, if we can get to, if we get to an hour, hour and 10, that's kind of pushing it for me. So so let's let's get to Baylor and uh, not waste any more time because people that are listening to this, sure, they probably want to hear about the Army stuff a little bit, but a big a big part of our podcast is really preparing you for the op- upcoming opponent that Oklahoma is going to see. And you and I have done some good homework on Baylor, so let's start with this. Last year, Baylor erupted for 523 yards and 41 points against Oklahoma. Oh, and by the way, Baylor was a team in 2017 that only won one game. The quarterback who lit the Sooners up, Zach Smith, which is an unfortunate name to have right now in college football, which I just kind of, when I was going back and looking at this, I kind of remembered that it was Zach Smith, the quarterback, not Zach Smith, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, the assistant coach at Ohio State, whatever. That guy, (laughs) uh, eventually that guy got benched for Charlie Brewer later in the year, and Brewer is now the starting quarterback for Baylor. So anyways, I got a question for you, Grant. I don't know if you had a chance to go back and watch it. Probably not. If, if you did, great. But uh, using what you can remember from last year's game, do you think we can take any way, uh, take anything from that game? Um, yeah, they're skill position guys because they're pretty much all back. So Denzel Mims is there, and he did a lot of the damage. Um, having that been said, yeah, I mean, Zach Smith, I don't even think he's on the roster anymore. Um, he might have been a senior last year, too. I'm not 100% sure. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'm assuming some elements of their offense are still the same. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the skill position, the skill positions, you know, come back completely intact. So I mean, yeah, I, I mean, there, you're, there's certainly some guys that you can key on from last year's game that are still there that hurt OU. So, I mean, I, I don't know if you can take a ton from it, but it, there's certainly some value in it. I have a couple bullet points that I wrote down summing up last year's OU Baylor game. First off, the Sooners very good against the run in that game. Baylor only had 60 yards on 35 carries. That's a 1.7 average. Baylor kept trying to run the football and Oklahoma wouldn't let him. But Baylor, of course, had tons of success through the air. So it, it in a way didn't really matter. Uh, Jordan Thomas, uh, he did not have a great game. He was 100% responsible for one of those Baylor long touchdowns. Uh, but the rest of the secondary also was not that great in that football game upon rewatching. Uh, Trey Sermon, and talked about him earlier in the show, he absolutely killed Baylor in the game. Uh, 12 carries, 148 yards, two touchdowns, did it all in the fourth quarter. And now, of course, Sermon's the, the lead back with Anderson down for the count. Um, speaking of running backs, Grant, watching back this game made me really wish that Abdul Adams had not decided to transfer because I think right now he'd be the Sooners' lead guy. And I know that... He lost his job last year because of fumbles, and he was also banged up. But I'd like to think that Lincoln Riley would have given him a fresh start coming into this season. Sure, he would have been behind Sermon. He would have been behind Rodney Anderson. He'd have been the third guy. And at this point, I think his explosiveness really showed up in that game when he was healthy. And, man, I think he'd be the number one guy right now with Sermon still being that change of pace guy. So that's that's the main takeaways uh, I take from it. And um, also, too, that's the game where Curtis Bolton was injured in 2017 and was lost for the year. And it was a really unfortunate play, too, because Oklahoma was being lazy on the play, trying to sub players out. Curtis Bolton was actually the last player onto the field running out because Oklahoma was confused, didn't know. Uh, not Maybe not didn't know, but Baylor was going tempo. And they hadn't subbed, so they weren't stopping play and letting Oklahoma sub. So Oklahoma was just subbing, even though Baylor was trying to snap the football. Bolton ran out there late. Uh, confusion. He actually makes the tackle on the play as a nice play for a guy that just literally got on the field a second before the snap. And Kenneth Murray comes down trying to make the tackle as well on Bolton's leg and hurts his leg, and he's out for the year. And crazy, just think if they weren't subbing guys and Oklahoma would have been lined up like normal, maybe somebody else makes that tackle and maybe Bolton never gets injured. Uh, I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but that's just kind of a weird thing that I noticed in that game as well. I'll let you comment on any of that stuff if you if anything struck a chord with you. No, I mean, I, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you about Abdul Adams. Um, but it, it just kind of is what it is. He he felt like he needed to leave, and that's totally okay. But yeah, I mean, he was a he was a guy. I think people kind of forget how if, if you remove the turnovers, and obviously that's a big factor. But if you remove the turnovers, he's a guy who who I thought was really impressive in the first half of last year. Um, he got banged up in some games. Um, I think the Iowa State game he got banged up, and I thought that was a pretty big injury. Um, just yeah, it's it, it it's never bad to have explosive athletes on your roster and. You know, like we've said the last you know few weeks now, I, I think it's pretty apparent that they're missing Rodney Anderson in the running game. Um, it sure would be nice to have to have another bullet in the chamber with Abdul Adams, but you know, water under the bridge. So Baylor's been playing two quarterbacks so far this year. That Brewer guy we've already talked about, another guy named Jalen McClendon. Although Brewer did play exclusively against Kansas last week so it looks like maybe Brewer has kind of taken that job so uh, I, I 
I've done a little more film study on this than you have, Grant. I, I don't think Oklahoma's going to have to worry about really preparing for two quarterbacks. I think Brewer's the guy, and I think he's definitely better than this Jalen McClendon player. Uh, Brewer, what stood out to me on tape from him is uh, – the first thing that comes to mind is that he does not have a very strong arm at all. His arm is kind of a pop gun arm. He has trouble throwing it down the field. I mean, I'd be surprised if he, if he could throw the football 50 yards down the field, and I'm, and I'm dead serious. Although I will say his arm strength is not very good at all. He's above average when it comes to accuracy. He made some really nice throws against Kansas. I know, hey, it's Kansas, but Kansas actually had, had some decent coverage on him, and he made some throws where it was right on the money in a spot where only his receivers could get to. And also against uh, Duke, he made eh, a good throw here and there. He didn't have as much success against Duke because Duke's defense is actually pretty good. Uh, the other guy, uh, what's his name? Jalen McClendon. I, again, I don't know if, we're gonna, if Oklahoma's going to see him much. He didn't have a particularly great arm either. He threw a pick six against Duke. He likes to run a little bit. He didn't seem all that particularly athletic. Uh, but when it comes to running, though, Brewer is very athletic. And I could tell Brewer is a guy who likes to run some design quarterback runs, some some zone reads, some read option. But I think he does want to throw the football. Uh, but when that first read's taken away from him or he has to think a little bit, he does tend to want to pull it down and use his athleticism to run the football. Grant, what have you seen from Brewer or both quarterbacks? Yeah, I haven't seen any of Jalen McClendon. I've only I've only seen their game from last week against Kansas. Uh, my first my first thought on Brewer Lee is that he it was my it was my first observation is that he looks like a guy who's always looking to scramble. Um, I, I think that's that's where he's probably going to hurt OU the most if he's going to. Um, I'm right there with you on his arm strength, Lee. I had mentioned the the first touchdown pass he threw against Kansas in the first quarter of that game. Um, it was like a 30-yard touchdown pass. He had to crow hop to get it there, and I'm dead serious. Um, and the the ball still kind of hung up in the air. Um, so, and I I just I just saw another completion he's made. I'm watching the game actually right now as we record this. He threw a ball that just hung up in the air seemingly forever. That was caught for a first down, but he kind of got his wide receiver killed uh, near the sideline. But he is—he certainly does not have a strong arm. Does that does that mean anything right now? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but I, I think it would be safe to say maybe he's not a huge threat to bomb away on you, you know, very far downfield, because I don't know if he can get it there. So, yeah, that's... That's the thing. So a couple other notes on on Brewer. Uh, he didn't show well to me when he was asked to make reads and decisions with the football outside of a, devo- a defined pre-snap read. And watching the Duke game, I think this is why Duke was playing a lot of press man coverage and also why it worked so well against Brewer. I don't think Brewer is particularly confident throwing the ball into small windows. And let's be honest, not a lot of quarterbacks are unless they're incredibly good. Uh, and when the Duke defensive line was starting to get pressure on him, he really pulls the trigger kind of prematurely, which would lead to not so good throws, and or he would decide to, to to run. So that's something to look out for, and that kind of leads me into let's see, let me get back to to the rundown. Um, I, I actually we'll save that for later. I'll, I'll ask you this, and this kind of goes along with with Corey Brewer, but also it'll lead us into the other players on the team. Where do you think Baylor could pose a problem? For Oklahoma's defense. I mean, we saw Denzel Mims go off last year, and we saw Zach Smith throw over throw for over 360 yards. I know they have other players on the team. Where do you where do you really kind of concerned about Baylor posing a problem? Their skill players, uh, absolutely, just their skill players. Um, and I'm watching here, Lee. They 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 do they do make an effort uh, to get these guys the ball in space. 
I've seen I've already seen a handful just in this first in the, in the you know the first quarter and a half of this game. Already seen a handful of uh, jet sweeps. I have seen some kind of quick hitch routes. Um, also some some little swing passes as well. Um, they they do have really good skill players. Um, their their receivers, Lee, I, I think are good. Um, Jalen Hurd, Chris Platt, and Denzel Mims. That's a really good receiving core. Um, so they also have another guy. They have a they have a, they have a true freshman named Tyquan Thornton, who I haven't seen show up on tape yet, but he's got ten targets this year, eight catches for 164 yards and two touchdowns as well. So he's a guy who looks like he could be pretty explosive. So you know, I'm I'm he they, had a yeah he had a touchdown or two against Duke because Mims didn't play in that game because I think he had a tight hamstring. And then if you I don't know how much of the Kansas game you watch, but he has a touchdown catch against Kansas too. Okay, yeah, I I don't I don't know if I've gotten there yet. Um, with his with his touchdown pass or his his touchdown catch against Kansas. Um, yeah, Lee, I mean this is a this is a good to really good core of skill of, of skill players that Baylor has. Um, and so these these they they still have a lot of guys left over from the Art Bryles era at, at you know playing skill positions. So um, really, they're they're just going to ask Charlie Brewer to get the get the ball to these guys in space, and I really think they're going to challenge Oklahoma to tackle them. Um, and you know, if you got to put a gun to my head right now and tell me, I, I would I would still say I have no idea how Oklahoma is going to react to that. Literally none. And notice how Grant didn't mention any of the Baylor running backs. And it's because Baylor so far from what I've seen on tape and just the stats bear, they don't have much of a running game. They got Jamichael Hasty and Tristan Ebner, and they haven't done a whole lot. And they get a lot of their rushing yards, Grant, from Brewer, from the quarterback scrambling or designed reads. I know the quarter other quarterback, McClendon, had some, some rush yards. I mean, against Baylor, uh, I'm sorry, against Duke, Baylor had 130 rush yards in that game, but 51 of them came from McClendon and 32 of them came from Charlie Brewer. And so, I mean, more than half of the yards, well more than half of the yards came from the quarterback scrambling. Baylor has a tough time running the ball, and we saw it last season. Baylor couldn't run the ball against OU, and Oklahoma actually, even though they gave up a lot of rushing yards to Army, that's what Army does, Oklahoma's been very good against the run so far this season. They they held David Montgomery in check for the most part. I know he had a touchdown, but he had under 100 yards rushing. So I like the fact that Oklahoma was able to, to able to stop the run well. And there's not really a guy like a David Montgomery that Oklahoma's defense is going to have to key on in the backfield. At least we haven't seen. So I think that should give Oklahoma more uh, more of an emphasis on the passing game, and hopefully they ha- they will better slow down that Baylor pass game because I really think against Iowa State trying to sell out against David Montgomery probably left them susceptible at times on the back end against the pass, and then obviously the, the tackling wasn't great either. So I think it's interesting that the, the skill players you bring up are the wide receivers, but really you don't talk about the running backs much with this Baylor team, which is what bears it out on film, I think. Yeah, you, you, you did forget to mention their leading rusher, Lee, who is John Lovett. Uh, he's a sophomore, and he was the starting running back for Baylor in the game last year as well. Uh, so he is they, – they have – Lee, they have they have three guys who who are kind of leading them in rushing. It's Lovett, Jamichael Hasty, and and their quarterback Charlie Brewer. Other than that, I I, I see Treston Ebner's only gotten twelve carries this year. Lovett's had thirty five. Jamichael Hasty has twenty nine. Um, so you know I, I yeah yeah I yeah I'm I'm not particularly terrified of their of their running attack. Um, looking here at S and P as well, they're not in, they're not terribly explosive in the running game as well. They're seventy seventh in explosiveness in running. So you know, slightly below average. Um, I, I, that's just not going to move the needle a whole lot. So, 
you know, I they're they're a team that I, that I really think is if they're going to beat OU, it's going to be on the edges uh, with their skill wide receivers. And I got to tell you, I, I'm I am just terrified of Trey Norwood trying to tackle Jalen Hurd because he can't. I'm dead serious. He can't. You mentioned Denzel Mims is a big body guy like Akeem Butler in the opening take. Well, Jalen Hurd's six four, big dude as well. But it's crazy that guy was a running back. Yeah. Also, at, I, yeah, uh, I, my, yeah. Yeah. My first, my first thought though when I saw him in this game was that well, he he did lose quite a bit of weight. It looks like from when he was at Tennessee, he doesn't look quite as thick as he did when he was at Tennessee. But so the guy's huge. He's six four, two seventeen, um, and it looks like a lot. He he was in the slot a lot, or he's been in the slot. Yeah, quite he's a, a bit slot guy, and yeah. he runs a lot of short routes. I I have not. I have yet to see him get targeted on a, on a deep pass in the two games against Kansas and against Duke. I I just I, he seems like a guy they want to get to the foot they want to get him the football pretty quickly after the snap and and let him do stuff with it. He doesn't seem particularly that shifty though. Uh, I don't uh, yeah I don't know. He, no, he, ne- he, he, he never. Jalen Hurd in those two games didn't really flash much to me on tape. I'll be honest. J- yeah, I, I'm I'm more of just kind of remembering who he was at Tennessee and he's a guy who you know he 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 wasn't incredibly dynamic at Tennessee, but he's just a big body and he's not slow. He he could run. Um, you know, I, I just, he's a guy who the first guy never really brought him down at Tennessee. And I, you know, it does look like he's lost some weight. So I don't know how much of that he's going to retain, but I just know, I just know he's, he's a really good athlete. He's a guy that I don't think OU would mind having on their team. So, um, and Baylor's got a lot of guys like that, to be honest with you. So it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for sure. This is a game. I, I still think they, they should win. Um, this is a game where, where, you know, I, I would really love to see them come in with, you know, an attitude on defense and, you know, try to prove people wrong. But like I said, in the opening take, and like we've been, you know, saying over the course of the 20 minutes of this podcast, I have no idea what's going to happen. And like, I've, I've decidedly that I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the stance that I think it's exciting. I, I just, it's, this is college football. It's, it's chaos. It's crazy. And I mean, you never know what if they come out and play great, that'd be a lot of fun. Wouldn't it? Yeah, of course it'd be great. And let's slide into how Oklahoma's defense should defend this Baylor team and we're going to see a lot of nickel which Oklahoma wants to play they played a lot of nickel this year they didn't do any nickel against Army they went with their base 3-4 personnel even though they were playing a principled 5-2 with essentially five linemen at the line of scrimmage and two linebackers with two deep safeties and two corners so you're going to see nickel personnel with a lot of Baylor spreading it out and what I want to see a lot in this game and I, is what Duke did a lot in this game, which is you play press man coverage and you mix in a lot of also press cover three where you always have your cornerbacks up on the receivers. You don't necessarily have to have your your slot corners, your nickelbacks, your linebackers up at the line of scrimmage pressing as well too. You don't always have to have that. You throw that in every once in a while. But I always want to see Trey Norwood. I always want to see Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, whoever's playing corner. I want to see those guys up at the line looking like they're playing press man coverage. Even if they're not, they're going to be playing press cover three, making it to where Charlie Brewer is hesitant and he doesn't want to pull the trigger on on balls where normally if they were playing you know, eight to ten yards off, Brewer would just be able to see it pre-snap, take the snap, and throw that quick little five-yard hitch, f- easy five yards, which Baylor will like to do, and they'll also like to go east and west quite a bit too to try to create some mismatches with blockers and receivers. And you know, if they have two receivers out one side and they only see one corner over there, or they see a linebacker that's playing uh, more towards the slot, they'll think they'll have numbers and they'll throw those just quick 
screens out there to try to create mismatches. They'll do that a lot. I, I want to see a lot again, press man coverage and press cover three, which Oklahoma very rarely, if ever, plays press cover three. They do play a little bit of press man coverage. I watched back again last year's game, and I charted some third downs. I saw some press cover man on third down a couple of times. I saw some press cover two man. I saw some cover three, but soft. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. There was really nothing that was specifically working well, and it showed because Baylor ended up really exploiting Oklahoma throughout the game. So uh, there was some cover one, which I like, you know, with that press man coverage. So I want to see a lot of that. If Oklahoma doesn't do that a lot, I think Baylor, you're playing right into Baylor's hands. They're, they're going to be able to complete balls with, with a, a guy like Charlie Brewer, who, again, has above average accuracy. Uh, the last thing on this, and I'll let you comment on how you think maybe Oklahoma should play defense, uh, against Duke. And the Blue Devils' defense, I've said it before on this podcast, Duke's defense looks to be pretty good. Actually, Duke looks to be a pretty sneaky good team, in my opinion. In that game against Duke, Baylor managed only two explosive pass plays the entire game, and both of them happened because of, of really good throws by the quarterback, which, you know, sometimes you tip your cap. Uh, and, and also, one of them, the cornerback, did not get his head turned around in time. Uh, the coverage was very tight both instances. One of the, the explosive plays went for a touchdown. So if Oklahoma just uses those same principles as Duke and the corners play smart like Motley and Norwood can, they're pretty good in coverage. Get your heads turned around. I think Oklahoma can have a really good day covering the pass against Baylor. Okay, yeah, Lee, I'm going to go ahead, and I, I like what you say about the press cover three. I, I agree with that. You know, I... I'll I'll keep I'll keep uh, you know saying it. I, I I would like to see some aggressiveness. I I I just I really love the aggressiveness in the first two games and parts of the Iowa State game. I want to see I want to see some more of it. Um, against Baylor, you may not be able to get too carried away with that just because of uh, Brewer's scrambling ability. That kind of is a little concerning to me. So Lee, I would I would really like to see. Um, some some of what we saw uh, a little bit in the UCLA game, Lee, which was a spy on the quarterback. I, I really want to see that with Charlie Brewer, I, um, at least every now and then. I'm not saying every single time, but like on, on third downs, uh, spying Charlie Brewer would not be a terrible idea. Um, and also, Lee, I want to see some disguised coverages before the snap uh, because Charlie Brewer does seem like a one-read guy, and I really think that you can bait him into making a mistake. Um, so I would really like to see some disguise coverages. And, you know, it happens every now and then. Um, what do I think we'll see? Probably none of that, but there's always, you know, wishful thinking. Yeah, I think you're right about the spy thing, too. It showed up on tape when Duke Duke would sometimes break down and they, they'd let the either McClendon or Brewer. It was actually McClendon a lot in that Duke game. And he'd be able to to get through the defensive line of Duke when they broke contain, and he'd be able to scramble for some yardage. And and sometimes I feel like they would have a spy on him, and sometimes they didn't. And that was really the the biggest plays in that game for Baylor against Duke, outside of the two explosive throws that I, that I talked about earlier. So yeah, if if they're ever going to do that, it, it'd be nice to have a guy like Kenneth Murray, maybe not necessarily in coverage, but spying. And then maybe if you're man across the board with Curtis Bolton too in there playing man up against the the running back, the running back stays in there to block, then you got Bolton coming in there. And I learned this actually recently, Graham. Remember I talked about the the whole you know running back blocking. You're in man coverage, you're running, and it's like a bit of a delay blitz. Well, actually, the technical term for that, and I didn't know this until I watched a, uh, a film session on the SEC network, it's called a green dog. So Curtis Bolton is – he was a green dog a lot on those plays is that he's got man coverage against the running back that stays in the block and you turn into an extra blitzer. It's called a green dog. So 
I just learned that. So I, I'd like to see some of that in this game, which we have seen Oklahoma do that this season, obviously. And and um, we saw it against UCLA. We saw it against FAU. And, and there's no reason for us to not think it's going to happen here, here against a, a more uh, – an, an offense that's more like what Oklahoma's used to defending. And, you know, Lee, here – I you know, I, I – like I've said, I'm going to say it one more time. This Army game has totally whacked me out, and it's gotten me It's gotten me forgetting. You know, you, Mike Stoops did not, you know, have a bad game plan for Iowa State. The defense just didn't really play that well in that game. Um, so I, I, I would really like to think that, you know, he's going to revert back to the first three games where he seemed a lot more creative than he did um, in all of 2017. And, Lee, you know, they're, they're getting some guys back. They're getting a little more healthy on defense as well. They're going to get, you know – four or five guys back that they didn't have last week against Army, which is, you know, significant for sure. And, Lee, I just want to add one more thing about, you know, what I would like to see them do. Keep an eye out for that uh, for that Kenneth Murray delayed blitz that we've seen a few times this year that has been particularly devastating. So I, I that's I, I think that's quite uh, – this is kind of something I've, I've turned out to like to say, another bullet in the chamber uh, right there, because that's that could be potentially deadly. I, I would like to see that implemented, you know, at least a little bit. And, and you, I'm glad you mentioned the guys they had coming back. Two off the top of my head, Tyree Slot and Marquez Overton, two inside defensive linemen, interior linemen they're going to get back, so that will add to the depth there. I really liked what Duke did to, on their defensive line. They really used a lot of stunts and slants to – to create pressure with four and I haven't I don't think Oklahoma does a whole heck of a lot of that mainly because Oklahoma they've been doing a little more deep. this year I mean but they, you know they don't normally play with four down linemen they usually have just you know three down linemen they got their jack linebacker that rushes them but I mean it's if they can I mean this is just football 101 if you can create pressure with just four guys you're going to have a lot of success and Duke was able to do that with their four guys uh, the last thing on just the the Baylor offense and the Oklahoma defense I, I know I, I had a thing on Twitter, a thread about how Duke, they're, they're, they had a blueprint on how to slow and, and limit Army and the option game. And I had a lot of people come back at me with some good counterpoints, and, and that's fine. I mean, Duke sees the triple option a lot more than Oklahoma does. They had all offseason to prepare for, considering that was week one. That's fine. That's, that's, that's fair points. But at the same time, I do think Duke had some – or should Duke gave Oklahoma some some decent – some decent ways to maybe slow army and now i think duke has also given oklahoma a blueprint to slow baylor i mean it's it's right there in front of them and it would be really frustrating if oklahoma in two, in two different instances because how often does this happen when you, you play two different teams but like you have a common opponent that you can actually watch film on and to maybe help you out they play before you and I can totally see Oklahoma just not even really utilizing it and saying that eh, we have our own way of doing it. Who cares? And that would if Oklahoma plays poorly this game defensively and they had that blueprint of what Duke did against Baylor to slow Baylor down, that's going to be really, really annoying to me. And I'm going to I'm actually frankly going to be mad about that. That's my last comment on that. I don't know if you have anything else. If not, we'll go on to the Baylor D and the OU offense. Yeah, I mean, I just want to mention one thing. I, you know, what is is there anything that Baylor is not great at on offense? Um, I mean, they're not they're not great at anything on offense. They're they're good at a lot of stuff on offense, but you know, I, I'd say one weakness is you know, or the obvious weakness of their offense is is their offensive line. Um, they're you know they're 62nd in the country in raw sack rate. Um, which is, you know, just kind of in the middle of the pack and not great. OU is has been, you know, a little above average this season rushing the passer, um, actually. So, and then also, Lee, um, Baylor's running backs get stuffed at the line on 21% of their runs. 
um, which is a very high number. So that's something to look out for. Uh, again, yeah, Baylor has been, if anything, they've been inconsistent running the ball this year, and they've been you know, inconsistent protecting Brewer, um, and they've got away with a lot of that because Brewer's scrambling ability too. So, you know, I'm, it's, this is a game where you know, I, I think Baylor is a good offense. You know, it's not a great offense. It's, they're not going to blow you away, but it's good. You know, they're reasonably efficient. They have a 47% success rate on the season. That's 30th in the country, and they're fairly explosive. They're 22nd in the country in explosive plays. Um, you know, turnovers have hurt them. Uh, they're 115th in the country in turnover luck. Um, so, and I think a lot of that was in the Duke. They turned it over a ton in the Duke game, didn't they? Uh, two or three times. There okay. was, uh, they definitely, they, they, they're, they're, I guess now their backup quarterback, that McClendon guy threw a pick six. And, uh, I mean, simply put, I, I know like I, we had some disagreement on this cause I know you'll get your numbers a lot, but I mean, Duke dominated Baylor in the game and the final score was 40 to 27 it wasn't remotely that close at one time it was 30 to 13 and one of those two Baylor touchdowns was a punt block return touchdown where it was all on Duke I mean their punt shield broke down big time and it was it was pretty easily preventable and also at one point it was 40 to 20 with three minutes to play in the game and the Bears got a garbage time touchdown basically uh, like the one kind of time that that Baylor scored to make it like after the block punt for instance it Duke just got the ball, went down, and scored. And so, like, there was never a moment where Baylor was going to win that game. And so, yeah, and this is and so this is where I was pushing back on you, Lee, a couple of days ago when we were going back. Uh, you say that that Baylor dominated Duke. Um, you know, these stats other way around. Are, oh, sorry, that Duke dominated Baylor. Uh, the stats and the post it just do not bear that out whatsoever. Um, you know, they it's a perfect example of of uh the number yeah because i mean the total yards was almost even identical they both ran 74 plays uh baylor outgained duke by one yard uh duke averaged 5.39 yards per play baylor averaged 5.41 yards per play um i i don't know they duke had a 46 percent success or uh, baylor had a 46 percent success rate against uh duke duke on the flip side had a 35 percent success rate against baylor's defense um, I, per Lee, per S and P, you know Duke won that game because Baylor threw a pick six. Um, Baylor had a fifty two percent win, you know, win expectancy at the end of that game. So S and P says Baylor should have won that game in all probability. So that's um, that's ridiculous because you need to really question S and P then, or at least that's just a it's just an outlier it's, because it use your eyeballs in that game and Baylor had no chance except for whenever they kicked off and it was nothing, nothing. And Lee, you know, Bill Connolly, who is the purveyor of, of S&P, he does say S&P is supposed to be used uh, to fill in the gaps that your eyes do not see. So maybe that this is one of those cases um, where, you know, if you watch the game, Duke was just better across the board. Um, but on a play-by-play basis, Baylor was better than Duke in that game. Um, and um, it, it sounds like really in that game, Duke just made all of the big plays and, and Baylor was just more efficient than them over the course of the game. Um, I, You know, Baylor's not a bad team. You know, th- this is a, this is a team that, you know, is absolutely capable of beating. I think, th- I think they might be a bad team. I, I honestly, you know, I I don't I don't think they are. The stats don't bear it out. I'm watching them against Kansas. They don't look like a bad team. You know, I Kansas Kansas is not a good team. I, a I know I know Kansas year, is I, I know Kansas is is absolutely awful. Don't I mean they're yeah people people think in Kansas maybe some sort of threat this year are absolutely insane. They're terrible, um, but. I, I don't know. I, I think people are really underrating Baylor. I think people are already kind of just tacking this one into the win column. Oh, he's not going to cover in this game at all. Um, hey, well, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. In a yeah, moment. I know. But still, like, I mean, this is um, 
I, I, it could just be the, you know, the army game, just weighing too much in my mind. Um, and I'm not saying Baylor's great or anything, but they're a team that's capable of beating you if you, if you don't show up and they certainly didn't show up against army. So I, it's not unreasonable to suggest that in back-to-back weeks, they won't show up. And the topic of the Baylor defense going up against the Oklahoma offense, like last week, I don't have a whole lot to say on this topic. Baylor's defense doesn't look particularly great on tape. I tend to believe Oklahoma should be able to move the football against the Bears quite successfully on Saturday. The reason for this is Duke was able to score more than 30 points with a backup quarterback who was not particularly great at making throws. In the game, it was Quentin... Uh, I can't remember his name. Quentin something. Nel- no, Quentin Nelson's the the linebacker, the lineman that plays for the Colts now. Uh, he was 12 of 30 throwing, and Baylor's defense wasn't able to make him one dimensional. So I, Kyler Murray and the rest of Oklahoma offense, I think should be able to do a lot of things against the Bears. Grant, do you disagree? I don't disagree. No, um, you know, and I and I I honestly haven't really watched Baylor's defense that closely. I can only look at the numbers. Um, and they're not particularly impressive per the numbers. Um, they look like they, they look to have they're 75th overall in defensive S&P. They they seem to have sort of an inflated pass defense metric because uh, they haven't really played anybody who can complete a forward pass. But Lee, their their run defense is is bad. Their run defense is like really bad. I think they um, gave up almost six yards per rush on average, something like yeah, that. Yeah, Lee, they're 98th in the country and and rushing defense efficiency. Um, and they're 114th in rushing defense explosiveness. Um, so, and they're 75th in the country in stuff rate, so they don't really get in the backfield that much. Uh, this is a game, Lee, where OU should really be able to lean on their offensive line. Um, they should be able to pick up the hard yards. Um, I, I expect a, a really good game from Trey Sermon. The Duke quarterback I was trying to remember, his name is Quentin Harris. So, yeah, that's, that's the thing. I, I think at least the, the, definitely the last two weeks – and, and more so this week because we didn't know how, how the Oklahoma defense would play against Army. Uh, this, this game comes down to can, will the Oklahoma defense show up with a good game plan and slow down Baylor because Oklahoma's offense should be able to get theirs. And and, and let's say Oklahoma's offense does not, I, it's impossible to see coming because Baylor's defense just hasn't shown anything from we on tape. And even last year, sure, Baker Mayfield was the quarterback, so that's tough. You got to maybe almost throw that out. But it just they don't have any particularly great Great guys showing up on tape. I know that the o- OU offensive lineman Cody Ford, for example, said that he thinks he said that he thought that this Baylor defensive line that he on tape that when that might be the best defensive line that they've seen this year. I I think maybe he was just being nice because obviously Iowa State's defensive line is the best one that they've seen and it might be one of the best in the Big Twelve, if not the country, because those guys are just really good. Baylor's defensive line is not better than Iowa State's. I'll tell you that much. So I, I think maybe that was Cody Ford just being nice, or maybe he saw something on tape that stood out to him on his particular side of the line. So that was interesting. So yeah, I, it really comes down to Oklahoma's defense having a good game game plan for Baylor's offense, I think. Grant, what do you want to see happen in this game? I know we want to see Oklahoma win the game, but we've talked a lot about what Oklahoma can do, what they should do. What do you want to see? I want to see intensity on defense. I really want to see that defense come out and just kind of take – what happened last weekend against Army, I want them to take it personally, and I want them to come out fired up. Um, I really want them to heat Charlie Brewer up really bad. Just get get pressure in his face. You know, If, if he burns you with scrambling, then maybe you can, you can kind of cool it off a little bit. 
But I want to see what this guy can do on, you know, on the road in a hostile environment when Baylor isn't, you know, a one in 10 or one in 11 team, you know, and there's actually some pressure. Uh, heat this guy up a little bit because I, I really think that you can pressure him into some mistakes because that ball is really going to float in the air. Uh, I think if he tries to throw downfield um, and also Lee on offense, I, I, I I'm going to keep saying it. I, I just I want to see the offensive line take over. Um, and also, you know, I, I think Trey Sermon has the opportunity to have a good game. Um, and it would be really nice to see, you know, it would be really nice if they could run more than 40 plays. I, I would like to see some other guys get some touches in the running game as well. Uh, we saw TJ Pledger get one catch on, or uh, one, you know, one touch on a catch against Army. Uh, let's see if, if he's going to be more involved. Um, I'm sure we'll probably see Marcellius Sutton a little bit more. Um, and then, of course, I, I'm sure we're, we're going to continue to see Kyler Murray just making really good decisions in the running game. I think that's where I think he's been just really underrated there. Um, Lee, what, what I want to, but most of all, I just want to see a team that is fired up. I want to see that same team that came out in Week One and was just going to put their, you know, their cleat on your throat. Um, where is that team? I, I want to see him again. I just, I want to see him fired up. Um, you know, this is a team where a lot of people have kind of questioned their, their toughness over the past week. And I would really like to, you know, see them take that personally and come out and just, and, and play well in this game and with some intensity. Yeah. And, and it's a team where you'll, I mean, every team's going to be like this because now we're in an age where social media is so popular and these are our college kids are all going to be on social media on Twitter and whatnot. And you'll see, I've, I've seen people retweet things on my timeline from players with basically saying don't worry about it we're good like don't basically don't say anything negative and it it's you know what great guys I mean you can say all that stuff but talk is cheap and uh, before the army game for instance I, I noticed that Justin Broyles liked a tweet that was that was uh, not by me but by one of our listeners that was commenting on the Oklahoma defense basically not being very good and, and to me that's like okay well he's Obviously, he's liking tweets where he feels like you know he and the defense are being slighted. Great, I love that. If I was a player, I'd do this. I'd I'd probably have the same ideas. But at the same time, though, I'd like to think that I have a little bit of awareness when I think, man, I these people have decent points. And that was before the Army game. And granted, Burroughs didn't get a chance to play much at all against Army. I don't even know if he saw the field in that game. Just because the way Oklahoma was doing it. But uh, point being is, I get so I get tired of the the players sometimes with their hey you know don't sleep on us or you know you guys don't know what you're talking about because then more often than not it seems like we see them on the field and they don't back it up and they look like they're unprepared and they don't play well so you know you can you can talk you can talk a big game and shut people up whenever you do come out and play really well and you make people look bad so do it I want to see it happen against Baylor because Baylor is a, an offense that this Oklahoma defense has the talent and the capabilities if they're prepared and they have a good game plan to really slow and hold down big time, I think, especially with how good Oklahoma's offense is. You can get it behind the eight ball and make Baylor even more one-dimensional. This is a game Oklahoma has the talent, and if they're, again, if they're prepared correctly, they could blow the doors off of Baylor and make a statement after everyone's questioning them after the Army game. I just don't know if we've seen enough evidence, that whether it be this year, I know it's early, in the last couple of years, to see something like that coming, especially against a team like Baylor where Oklahoma's favored by more than three touchdowns. It seems like for whatever reason, Army, Iowa State last year, when they get these big underdogs coming into Owen Field in the last couple of years, the focus isn't quite there. So I uh, I guess we were on what we want to see happen. 
Uh, I, I I like everything that you said. I want to see Charlie Brewer get heat up, uh, heated up, send some pressure off him, make him make a decision before he wants to. Because yeah, I think that he can be he can be forced into mistakes with that poor arm, and uh, and just it's all about the defense, man. And also too, I, I do want to see Oklahoma run the football really well. Uh, Cody Ford said that they they, t- they do take it personally whenever they can't move the pile and get stopped, and they can't get in the end zone on third down and goal, fourth down and goal from the one yard line. Uh, so I want to see the offensive line really come out and set the tempo and, and push the pile and, and have a nice game running the football on Saturday. What will happen in this game? This is the time where we're going to make our predictions. Uh, Oklahoma right now, 23.5-point favorites. Grant, I'll let you go first. I don't know. I think we're probably going to see an uneven game. Um, I, I think Oklahoma's going to win this game. Um, I, I I don't know if it's going to be pretty or ugly or, or what, but – there's going to be some instances in this game where I think Baylor's going to make some plays and and people are going to, you know, rightfully or unright or, or unrightfully are probably going to really freak out about the defense. Uh, Baylor's going to make some plays and um, jury's out, you know, of whether or not it's just good athletes making good plays or if OU is going to allow them to make plays because that's certainly what they did against Army. Um, so you know, let's let's hope they come out with the same intensity they did in week one against Florida Atlantic and, and UCLA. I really hope so. I mean, I, like you said, you know, the players can talk all they want, but good defenses don't get the ball run down their throat by Army. They just do not. So um, put up or shut up is all I got to say. You going to give us a prediction, or did you get one and I just missed um, it? A what? prediction? Uh, I'll say they'll win. That's the time of the show for it. Sure. Uh, like I've, I've actually been given score predictions this year, too. Um, I'll say they'll win. Yeah, you've been hit and miss. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say they'll, sco- uh, they'll win 45-31 to 31 is, my, is my prediction. 45-31. All right. Uh, Oklahoma 1-3 this season against the spread. And uh, aside from a late garbage time UCLA touchdown for the backdoor cover, I'd be 4-0 picking OU games, ATS so far. With that being said, even though it's impossible to have a strong like on this game because there's no telling which Oklahoma team will show up, I'm going to lean towards the Sooners not covering the spread. I just don't see Oklahoma losing this football game, though. However, I will say, until I see consistency out of the Oklahoma defense, we've talked about it most of the podcast, And what I mean from consistency, I want to be specific, is that the Sooners show that they can truly force these quarterbacks to beat them by making great throw after great throw after great throw and not just making an easy read, throwing it up there to a really good receiver and and because of a a defensive back not getting their head turned or making a maybe they're not in the right coverage or they're making it easy, that's why there's success. So I, I want to see them force other quarterbacks, like Charlie Brewer, I mean, he's a good player, but he's not a world beater, to be great to beat them I'm not going to feel confident in this defense holding teams like Baylor to less than 21 points until I can see that consistently Oklahoma obviously will get more possessions this week it'll score more points because uh, Baylor defense again not not great especially not great against the run the Sooners win this game I score actually I had this written down before you it's gonna be pretty close to what you had I have them winning the game 49 31 I hope I'm wrong Oklahoma, again, has the talent on defense to slow down this Baylor team and not give up a whole lot of points, which could lead to a blowout, like I said earlier. But again, what have we seen that gives us any confidence that'll happen? Uh, I I just don't think we've seen it. Uh, And when I say I hope I'm wrong, obviously, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that Oklahoma wins the game 49 to nothing and just blows them out of the water. And it's not, you know, a game where they allow 
30 plus points and it looks a lot like the game in 2017 and so I, I I will just I'll add this just as as a cap because I'm I'm the S and P guy, uh, Lee per S and P Baylor is the best team Oklahoma has played this year, and that is with Baylor's like preseason projections still dragging them down as well. Uh, they finished like 90th in S and P last year, and that's still kind of dragging them down. So, um, just wanted to add that out there. I, I Baylor's a good team uh, on a play by play basis. They are they are an an above average team. All right, Grant, Big 12 games in week five. West Virginia at Texas Tech, and this is a game that you're going you're gonna, to uh, leave this one for picks, it looks like, so we're not going to talk about that one yet. Uh, Kansas State at Oklahoma State. Man, I, 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 guess, I guess... Kansas we were... at Oklahoma State. Just, just Kansas. Oh, Kansas. I, my bad. I said, why did I say Kansas State? Who's Kansas State? Okay. Texas. That's, Kansas. That, one's, that one's also a part of the picks. Okay. Kansas at Oklahoma State. I'm all over the place. I guess we were one week off on the Cowboys. We we both thought Boise would be the team that would kind of kind of knock them off and kind of get everything rolling to where maybe this this team isn't that great. They look pretty darn good against Boise, but then Texas Tech comes into Stillwater and just rattles Oklahoma State's cage. I mean, Tech just beat them down. Grant, I, I watched that game. Uh, man, and Oklahoma State now Jalen McCleskey, a senior wide receiver, is going to transfer. There's there might be some issues in Stillwater that could develop here in the next week or two. I mean, I guess it's a good thing Oklahoma State's got Kansas this week because if they had a, a better team, they might be on the hook for a possible uh, two game losing streak. I don't know if you have any comments on Kansas or Oklahoma State. I mean, Kansas is dreadful still. Um, so you know, I I I'm, I don't yeah I I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game. I you know if they don't cover, start to maybe point towards you know point towards them as as a team that could really kind of fall off as Big 12 play gets in. I think, you know, Texas Tech may have uh may have exposed a lot of flaws in, in Oklahoma State's team. Texas Tech couldn't stop anybody for the first part of the year and they hold Oklahoma State to 17 and shut out in the first half in uh, second half, not the first half. Uh 17 points in the first half, no points in the second half. Texas Tech allowed in Stillwater. That's whew, That is rough. Texas is ranked again. They're a nine-point favorite on the road at Kansas State, who might might be really bad. The Wildcats might be a really bad team. I kind of figured preseason that Kansas State would be down and not very good. Uh, I know that's not a huge prediction because it's not like people were picking Kansas State to be at the top of the Big 12 or anything like that. Uh, Kansas State just doesn't have – again, they don't have a quarterback. They don't have a lot of talent. Uh, Texas, man – I and I guess we can kind of mix or mix in the Iowa State at TCU game too. That's the only other Big Twelve game. That Texas TCU game, Grant. Did you have a chance to watch Texas TCU? Yeah, I watched a lot of it. Uh, Texas was the better team. Uh, they they were they had uh, they were, but man, I mean, if it wasn't for Sean Robinson essentially giving Texas the game late in the game, I, TCU yeah. still could have won it. Yeah, yeah. TCU did not played very very poorly in that game. Um, you know, and Texas and wasn't still, a, and still could have won. Yeah, Texas <laughs> wasn't a world beater. They they averaged less than five yards per play in that game. So Texas is not is not quite a world beater yet. Um, their their defense that you know it's not a surprise. Their defense is going to be is going to be really good by the end of the season. I think they're already improving from from week one. Lee, that Texas and Kansas State game is part of our pick segment as well. Oh, okay. Okay, well, so in the other game, Iowa State at TCU. Uh, TCU's a 10.5-point favorite. Of course, Iowa State knocked off TCU last year. I, I got one more thought on uh, Texas-TCU, and this is going to sound like the biggest OU homer, like, oh, like, stupid 
take, I bet. But honestly, like, I, one thought kept going through my head as I kept getting deeper and deeper in that Texas TCU game, Grant. In my head, and and really, I mean, obviously Oklahoma, we don't know what we're going to get from their defense, so it might not matter. But I, both teams to me, Texas and TCU, just I was like these teams might just be kind of bad. I they don't look very good. I think it was either two pretty good teams kind of beating up on each other, or which I'm sure most people probably assume, and that's I I I lean towards that's probably what it is, just because based on history. Or that could have been two kind of average teams, Grant, just kind of playing an ugly game. But we may not even find out, though, because the Big 12 is not that great either. So I did, you, did that ever jump into your head when you were watching that game that these two teams might not be all that good? Yeah, it was a sloppy game. They're they're definitely not elite offensive teams by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there, I, I thought, you know, for the most part on a play-by-play basis, both defenses in that game were, were good. Uh, the difference in the game was just Texas made made the most plays. They were the ones who made the plays. Uh, Ellinger yeah. made some nice throws. Um, you know, Colin Johnson and Little Jordan Humphrey made some really nice plays. They did. Um, they did. Yeah. So, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep banging the drum. Texas has really no threat from the backfield at all running the ball. Their their running backs are not are not Texas level running backs. El- Ellinger is their best running back. Here's a random random thought for you, and I'm gonna. I wonder if this is going to trigger anything. Hold on. I, I think it was little Jordan Humphrey. He's either little Jordan Humphrey, the touchdown he had, or uh, let's see. I'm at the box score. Okay. Colin Johnson and little Jordan Humphrey each had one touchdown. I think it was little Jordan Humphrey. Anyways, does Texas for as back as long as I can remember, do they lead the entire nation and world in number of diving catches, diving touchdown catches? Yeah. That's, do you that's notice pretty, that a lot? Yeah, they do have quite a bit of those. I feel like that's funny. <laughs> like I, that's like either like oh wow what a play it's like or the quarterback just can never hit him in stride like, like the court like they always have to make a great play to save their quarterback all the time it's always texas they had one against maryland i remember earlier in this year i think they had one last year against maryland too i even even go yeah even going back the last couple of years i do kind of remember in, like an inordinate amount of it's like it's part catches. of their offense like oh make sure you throw it way the hell out there so our receiver can go out there and die. Grant, I mean, I know it's it, they throw it away from the defender. So I mean, essentially, it's a it's actually a decent play. But it's just like I feel like I never see Oklahoma have plays like that because when they make good throws, it's like they're on the money or yeah. It's just there's never like a big diving play. It seems like yeah. You know, <laughs> I that, think I I don't. It's a I random thing I know, but yeah. that's something I just want to throw just, out there. Just to put a bow on it too, I I don't know if I agree with you that Texas and TCU were too just like you know mediocre football teams playing you know I think they're I think they're two you know from the looks of it they're two fringe top 25 teams playing in a game I, I thought that's kind of what they looked like I, I Texas plays good defense I, I really like Todd Orlando that guy's a star defensive coordinator um so I don't know we'll see and uh, it's kind of funny Lee we didn't we didn't mention it at all you know in the Baylor analysis but is there any chance at all that OU is caught looking ahead to Texas next week oh yeah absolutely and the only thing I can think of is all the the criticism that surely that Mike Stoops has gotten and Lincoln Riley hears it and all these. I mean, they've heard all this criticism since the Army game. You would think that they would be, have a lot of focus on Baylor. 
because I mean, after all, this is the kind of team, kind of the offense that the defense is used to defending. So I mean, now like, sh- show us what you guys can do because you're you've seen offenses like this for years and years and years. So I guess in theory, you should be able to slow them down, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think so. And th- I mean, this is like I, I cannot stress this enough, Lee. This is a game that Oklahoma cannot lose with Texas and then at TCU coming up after that. They they cannot will, lo- at least they do have that buy though after they Texas. do have a buy, but they they cannot lose this game. Yeah, I mean that no. this it would if they lost this game it would present pretty compelling maybe tailspin uh, evidence they, they could absolutely go in a tailspin if they lose this game like we could be seeing Austin Kendall pretty soon and Kyler Murray's career could at Oklahoma football could I'm be not done. gonna I'm not gonna go that far well I mean if they're Just, if they're not in the playoff race anymore I. I could totally see Murray not playing anymore because like, what if there's some backroom deal that the A's have? Like, hey, listen, whenever you guys can't win at all, he he's not playing anymore. Speculation. I could totally see uh, that. I, don't, I know, I mean, but I could, I could I could see it happening. All right, let's cross them off. It's time for that segment, and I'm gonna be a buzzkill. I this is not gonna be that great of a segment, I don't think, because I think we're kind of on the same page. Uh, if, if you're new to this podcast. This is where we eliminate teams from national championship contention. So far, I have crossed off Notre Dame, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Grant, he's crossed off Washington, Notre Dame, Auburn, and LSU. I'll begin with my cross-off teams this week, and I only had one that comes to mind, and it's it's easy. I'm not sure even sure if it counts. That's why I'm not sure. Grant, does Vatek count? Does Virginia Tech count? Uh, not, I, mean, I mean, were we really even considering them as a title? No, I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm only considering people who are like serious, who like people actually bring up seriously as national title contenders. Um, I, yeah, Virginia, and, Virginia and we Tech have not was once never, brought uh, them up as a title contender. They were never seriously a, ti- a title contender. No. So I mean, they lose to Old Dominion, so they're obviously crossed them off. So I, aside from that, I don't have anybody that I want to cross off. But I see in, in the notes here, you have somebody. Uh, we're going to be on the same page here. We're actually going to, for the first time ever and cross them off, we are going to, you and I are both going to uncross off a team. And that team is Notre Dame. Grant, I'll let you get the, have the first crack at the Irish. We're going we're gonna to uncross off the Irish. Why? When new information is presented, especially really significant new information like a new quarterback, um, Ian Book replaced Brandon Wimbushley uh, on Saturday against Wake Forest. Notre Dame is a legitimate college football playoff contender. Uh, that Ian Book guy is good, like, yes, so he is. like so much better than Brandon Wimbush. I can't even believe that he wasn't starting. And actually, now that I think about it, almost makes me want to add Notre Dame back to the cross him off list. How, <laughs> how on how on earth was he not starting at the beginning of the year? I saw some. I don't. I, I saw somebody say like Brian Kelly was quoted as saying, "We we needed Brandon Wimbush's athleticism against Michigan to beat Michigan." And then they kind of went from there, and now Book has beat him out. I, my thought is like, wh- what? <laughs> Ian Book looked like, pretty freaking athletic to me in the pocket. Like he could move. Like not not that he's a scrambler, like any that he or like a sprinter like Wimbush, but he was not. No, yeah. He was not unathletic at all. Yeah, he wasn't a statue. I mean, he did have like a zone read touchdown run from like five yards out where they thought he was. Yeah, obviously Wake Forest assumed he, was, he wasn't ever going to run it, and he, he did. I I, I got to think that Brian Kelly was protecting Brandon Wimbush by saying that. Um, instead yeah. instead of saying, "Yeah, crap, man, we just we totally missed that one. Terrible idea on our part." You're, he's not. But, he's gonna. I mean, yeah, yeah. That was I a mean, good way scored, to answer that question. What What did Notre Dame Notre Dame put up fifty six points? They scored twenty eight points in the first half against Wake Forest, which was more points than they had scored 
in any game all season. They did it by halftime with that guy. I mean, the offense was just humming, and you could tell all the other players around him were excited because the receivers and the running backs were actually getting catchable balls in space on time. And he was very decisive with it. And he just he showed very good accuracy, and I was incredibly impressed. Now, how good is Wake Forest? I, I don't know. I mean, Wake Forest's offense is, is pretty good. I mean, it was at Wake Forest, too. And now, what, Notre Dame's got to go to Stanford. Or no, is it? It's at Notre Dame. It's at Notre yeah, Dame. Notre, okay, but still, I mean, that's going to be a, a huge test immediately for, for this book guy. Ian Book is his name, you said? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he was... I, I kind of went in until watching the game like, ah, he's not going to be that much better than Brandon Wimbush. Yeah. It's, he's he's an order he of magnitude really better than Brandon Wimbush. Um, yeah, I mean they they were surgical against Wake Forest. Cost Wake Forest's defensive coordinator's job at the end of the game. Um, wow, yeah, that's right. I, I saw that. So and also I, I'm how about you know, that? And, and also I was upset. I, I was in on you know Wake Forest in that game plus seven and a half, and it wasn't announced until literally right before kickoff that Ian Book oh, yeah. was starting. And so that oh, I mean yeah. that pisses me off. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we find out that uh, that Brandon Woodenbush is not playing in that game. Even if we don't even know anything about Ian Book, I would not have been as confident in Wake Forest just because, I mean, Brand- that's why we crossed off Notre Dame is because Brandon Wimbush is not a very good thrower of the football, which means he's not a very good quarterback. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Let's do our picks. Last week, I was 3-2. and two. Grant, you were 2-3, and three, another bad week. Overall, I'm slightly better this year than you. I'm 10-10, and 10, so I'm right at 500. You are 9-11, and 11, and you actually saved yourself as I was going back and listening to the podcast again just to make sure I had everything correct. At one point, you were 1-4 and four with your picks, but the very last second last week, you switched your pick to Wisconsin, which is we kind of we talked about that for about five minutes of what the Sharps would be on and what the Joes are on, and I stuck with Iowa. You actually flipped towards what the Sharps were on, and you ended up being correct about Wisconsin, so congratulations there. So you prevented yourself from going 1-4. and four. Yeah, I want to say I want to say one thing about that game. Um, that was a really impressive win by Wisconsin. That that was a really ballsy win by them. I don't really have anything else to add. Um, but that's that's why they're not appearing on my cross them off list quite yet. Even though I I don't really necessarily think they're that much of a threat, you know, to get to the playoff or win a national title. Obviously, um, but I mean. As the season goes on, if Wisconsin kind of regains their form from last year, uh, it's you know it, it's on the table for sure, and that was just a really gutsy, ballsy win on the road at night against an Iowa defense that is at least you know very capable. Um, and so I just I, I thought that was a really impressive win by Wisconsin, and, and Alex Hornibrook had had a really impressive final drive in that game to win the game. And so that that's all I wanted to say about that. It was just I thought they were really impressive. All right, let's get to the picks. Five more games. You always go against the spread. And again, so far, hopefully, uh, if you all are in Las Vegas listening to West of Everest and you're, you're hammering our picks, I mean, if, if you're betting mine, you're, you're 500, which with the hook, that means you're always paying. You're, you're, you're down a little bit of money. With Grant, you're definitely down a little bit of money. We're, we're not winning any money. We apologize for that. We do it for fun here. Uh, let's should we add a little bit of a wrinkle I mean if if we because we both listen to the RJ Bell podcast it's a it's a gambling podcast and they always do it based off of likes and leans and a like means that if you like a game that means that you actually are willing to bet it whereas if you are leaning you're basically being forced to make a pick so you're leaning one way so if you if you lean a game you say you lean some way you're 
you're, you don't have to bet it like you're just doing it for entertainment purposes hey this is a podcast if if i had to bet it, somebody put a gun to my head i would lean this way do you want to do you want to kind of do leans and likes I mean, oh, we're still yes. gonna keep our record please god can we do that i'm okay. just i'm getting I mean, absolute- we're gonna keep the same record i mean it's still gonna be you know through five games you know like a lean's not going to be worth a half point or a half lot like it's all going to be one point but that just kind of give us to like what we're thinking so we'll, we'll kind of implement that now starting today uh, i haven't really gone over these a whole lot so i don't know how many likes i'm going to have i'm not sure how many leans i'm going to have you threw these in recently and, and i haven't had a good chance to look at it but actually off the bat i can tell you i like the first one we're going to start with a big 12 game west virginia's laying three and a half at texas tech at 11 a.m. on Saturday, I'll go first, uh, and you might be on the same page as me because we both live listen to the same podcast today. I'm sure, and we we got some good information. I I, I like Texas Tech plus three and a half here, even though I'm a huge Will Greer guy. Uh, just I Texas Tech looked really good, looked really good against Oklahoma State. Now they're going back home. Sure, sure, Cliff Kingsbury's been shaky at, during his entire time there, and and you can't really trust the guy, but. I'm kind of being a prisoner of the moment from what I saw on tape from Texas Tech. Their defense was able to slow down Oklahoma State. Granted, I'm now I'm kind of starting to top myself into maybe a lean here because, man, Will Greer is not Taylor Cornelius, and Will Greer is going to probably torch Texas Tech's defense. So now I'm, now I'm starting to top myself. Grant, I'm going to actually push pause on this and let you pick because I might change my pick now. I'm thinking okay. about it. You go ahead. Uh, I lean West Virginia in this uh, one, Lee. Um, and because I, I, I am not going to fall for the Texas Tech trap quite yet. I'm just not going to do it. Man. Um, although, they, I mean, they did. They looked really, really good um, against Oklahoma State. Um, I just, I, I think this line ha- is just, Vegas is begging you, or, or they're, just, they're really hoping you watch Texas Tech destroy Oklahoma State last week. Um, here, here's what I look at, Lee. Um, West Virginia is 10th overall in S&P, Lee. Um, and Texas Tech's defense, or and uh, and West Virginia is, is sixth overall in S and P offense. Texas Tech's defense is still ninetieth in uh, S and P defense. Um, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still fairly convinced that Texas Tech has a really bad defense. Um, the reason why the, the the reason why I only lean West Virginia in this game is because they have a history of not playing very well on the road. And so we'll we'll see if they can buck that trend. And also, you know what, Texas Tech and Cliff Kingsbury, that offense seems to be very inventive. I've seen a lot of videos on Twitter and whatnot over the course of this week, really complimenting uh, Cliff Kingsbury for some of the inventiveness in his office in his offense against Oklahoma State. Um, so I, I'm going to lean West Virginia here because I want to see more from Texas Tech. I'm just I, I'm not going to fall in love with him, you know, just just because they blew out an Oklahoma State team that we all thought was going to be not very good this year anyway. Uh, live on well live for us but not live for you podcast listeners i have my the gears that that have turned in my head i have changed my mind <laughs> i i'm with you i'm gonna lean west virginia and here is why because will greer is the best quarterback in college football even though you've i know you've said Kyler murray's played the best i think will greer still is the best throw over the football in college football texas tech has has not faced a quarterback like will greer yet Will Greer will be able to light up that bad Texas Tech defense. I lean because West Virginia, this will be easily the best team West Virginia has played this year. Tennessee is garbage. Uh, West Virginia Virginia did not play NC State, which is kind of annoying. Uh, And other than that, they played a bad Kansas State team at home. And they also played, I think, 
uh, Youngstown State, maybe uh, some some YS. Yeah, Youngstown State. So West Virginia has not particularly been tested. This will be their best test, and it's on the road. That's why I'm going to lean after after liking Texas Tech. I've gone all the way to leaning West Virginia. Wow, that's that's sketchy as anything right there. So yeah, that you saw saw you listened to it all happen here on the on West of Everest. Way to go. Uh huh. Next one, Grant. I'll start with this Stay. one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I, I should probably yeah, let you say read it, we'll, it first. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll read it. I'll I'll continue to host the the show. Uh, <laughs> number seven, Stanford, at number eight, Notre Dame. Uh, the game of the you know what for my ah, nah. I mean, there's two games of the week. You, you saved the best for last. Uh, this is one of the games of the week. Stanford at Notre Dame. Notre Dame five and a half point favorites Saturday at six thirty. So it's night game. Man, this was tough. I was I was thinking about after I watched that Notre Dame Wake Forest game in my head. I was thinking, you know what? What's what is the line going to be? What's the line between Notre Dame and Stanford? Because I really want to bet Notre Dame. And I was thinking, okay, you know what? Notre Dame's at home. Stanford's undefeated. They come off a big win. You know what? What if it's like Notre Dame minus three? If it's Notre Dame minus three, I really I I will gladly take Notre Dame. And then I went and looked up the line. And when I, I saw it at Notre Dame minus six, so it must have gone down a little bit. Now it's minus five and a half. Grant, I uh, I will still I will still take Notre Dame at minus less than a touchdown. I I am gonna be taken taken in by Ian Book at home, coming off a kind of a an easy road game. What it turned out to be against Wake Forest, and you got Stanford going on the road after a, a super crazy come from behind road contest against a good Oregon team. Now they got to play a really good Notre Dame team that's better than Oregon. I will uh, I'll lay the five and a half from Notre Dame now that they have a really good quarterback in there. It looks like a, a good quarterback. Granted, Stanford's defense is a lot better than Wake Forest, so it'll be a big test. But I like what I saw from Ian Book. I'll lay the five and a half. I'll take Notre Dame. What about you? Oh, I guess we're going to lean. Like I'm going to lean Notre Dame because Stanford's really good. Lee, I like Notre Dame in this game actually quite a bit. Um, and I, I think you're just getting a lot of really good value on this game. You're getting Stanford, who is on their on a back-to-back road game. They just played an overtime game at Oregon, where they got you know a really emotional game where they got kind of beat up. Um, you know, Ian Book was really really goodly against uh, against Wake Forest, but really the story of Notre Dame is their defense. They're sixth overall in S and P. And Lee, when I go and look at Stanford, um, they've really struggled to run the ball this year with Bryce Love, and really their only offense has been throwing it up to their big wide receivers. Lee Stanford's only is 56th in S&P offense uh, going against, you know, the, the sixth ranked defense. I, I really like Notre Dame to kind of put a, you know, put a vice on Stanford. I don't think, I think Stanford's really going to struggle to move the ball in this game. Um, and I'm going to go in with, with Ian Book. Um, I, he looked really good. Um, Justin Herbert at times kind of had his way with Stan, or with Stanford's defense. Um, I think Ian Book can do something similar. Um, yeah. and, and Notre Dame's got, has got some got some dudes on the edge. They got some good receivers. Um, so I, I I really like Notre Dame. This might be a blowout. Grant, I gotta say that's a really good handicap of that game. I you you almost you've I, I'm not gonna switch it because I already I already locked it in. But I you know I, I you kind of convinced me. I kind of I like Notre Dame now too. But I'm I'll stick with the lean. But I yeah that's you made a lot of really good points. So good on you. So we're both on the same side through the first two games. Let's go to the third game. We got our second Big Twelve game of the bunch. 18th ranked Texas laying nine at Kansas State, 2:30 kick on Saturday. So again, Texas is uh, minus nine at Kansas State. 
I I lean Texas because I think Kansas State stinks. I know Kansas State's going to probably be uh, desperate. But the only reason I lean Texas because I don't like Texas's offense and Texas on the road after uh, you know an emotional win at TCU. I saw a stat, Grant, that Texas was leading. At, when Texas got the lead in that game, it was the first time they led against TCU in like five years. Did you see that stat? That was incredible. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. That's like crazy. how hilarious was yeah, that? T- yeah, TCU has absolutely pantsed Texas since they've joined the Big Twelve. It's hilarious. I'm. It's it's sad that it it may not continue into the future. So even though Texas is, you know, Texas back to back emotional big home wins, USC, TCU. Now they got to go on the road to Kansas State. I don't think Kansas State's very good. I. There's no way I'm going to take Kansas State, but I I, I want to like Texas. I really do, but I, just because I, I don't like their offense very much. I uh, This sounds so wishy-washy. It's my third lean. I, I'm going to lean Texas minus nine. Grant, what about you? I'm also going to lean Texas. Lee, Texas is one in seven all-time at Kansas State. Kansas State also just uh, – they just – uh, permanently named Alex Delton their starting quarterback. You know they're gonna oh, have. They're, you know, they run the triple option now. You, you know they're they gonna. Have, you know they're gonna have some really weird looks because they are a desperate team. Bill Snyder, when he's desperate, I think can get really interesting. I don't trust Kansas quite, or I don't. I don't trust Texas quite yet uh, on the road. But I will say, uh, you know, Kansas State. They just. They just don't have any good players. I think they're just as tough as old as you know as previous Kansas State teams, and they're kind of schemed in the same way. Their players just aren't very good. Um, know, shouldn't so, this line be? Sorry, you probably had more. I, I cut you off. Go ahead. Sorry. Now, so I, I I'm going to lean Texas just because of of the overall talent advantage. Uh, but you know, I it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise anyone if Kansas State you know Kansas stated it up and kind of shocked everyone. But at the same time, like, we've said that about on like three separate occasions already this year. Um, and they just Kansas State doesn't have a lot of does not have a lot of punch. So um, I, I'm still kind of you know I'm I'm still kind of wait and see on Texas, but I will lean here just because I I think Kansas State you know is probably the second worst team in the Big Twelve. And when I look at this number, Texas minus nine. Why is this? I mean, I know Texas is on the road, but why isn't Texas at least a two touchdown favorite? That number seems weird. I mean, because Kansas State's not good. And I know they're at home, but I mean, is, is this all because of just Kansas State's desperate and Bill Snyder? But like, I mean, Texas is a very public team. You would think that they'd want to, I mean, uh, Vegas or whoever set in the lines could put Texas up to as high as 14 and people are still going to take them against a yeah. bad Kansas State team. Maybe, Come, yeah. Uh, Lee, I mean, they're... That, so that line's kind of weird to me. It's, I, it's I look weird. At it more. Yeah. Um, you know, per S&P, you're getting a lot of value in that line. S&P likes, likes Texas by two touchdowns, like you said. Gosh. Okay. Well, I kind of I almost want to like Texas. That's I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep leaning because uh, I'm I'm a wimp. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'll, we'll go with that. Now let's go to the SEC. Is this the biggest game in the SEC this week, Grant? Must be. Yeah, I think so. But it's all it's. I thought it was the most interesting. I thought it was the hardest one to pick. All right, Florida at 23rd ranked Mississippi State. The Bulldogs at home laying seven and a half. That's a five o'clock kickoff on Saturday. Ooh, um, I haven't seen Florida play a snap this year. I saw Mississippi State against Kansas State in that game. Uh, that's kind of one of the games where I realized Kansas State really is not very good, and, and Mississippi State just destroyed by Kentucky last week. I, I wasn't particularly impressed that much by Mississippi State in that K, uh, K, uh, K State game. To me, this is a 
I don't know enough about this game, so it's difficult to pick. I mean, Mississippi State coming off a loss back at home. I mean, only giving up seven and a half. I mean, but then you have Dan Mullen. But I've heard Florida just isn't very good. So I, I, uh, man, I again, I'm going to be wishy-washy. I'm going to lean Mississippi State minus seven and a half. What about you, Grant? Lee, I like Florida in this game. Mississippi State, Lee, cannot complete forward passes, and Florida is pretty good on defense. Uh, you know, I, I, I like Florida. They, they have a good run defense as well, which is kind of, you know, how Mississippi State butters their bread. And Nick Fitzgerald is, is straight up a bad thrower of the football. Um, and also, you know, I, I think Mississippi State, man, they, they were all excited after the first three weeks of the season. They went on the road and blew out Kansas State, had some other really impressive wins, and they just got their freaking lunch handed to them by Kentucky. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I... I think this is a game, you know, I, I this is a game I think Mississippi State is probably gonna win. Um, but I'm gonna take Florida to cover. And I like I like them to cover. I've heard uh I've heard something and I I don't know, this is like that some people in Mississippi State or Mississippi State fans thought that actually losing Dan Mullen and bringing in Joe Moorhead was actually an upgrade. And maybe after the first few be. games that's that made sense, but after yeah, after they got beaten by Kentucky, it's like, yeah, maybe pump the brakes on that. Finally, Ohio State, who's number four, at number nine, Penn State. Ohio State, minus three and a half on the road. Ah, I I watched both of these teams play last week. I I said in the last podcast, one of the most recent podcasts, I might be changing my mind on Penn State. And you know what? I... This will be my my coming out party then of just, you know what, Penn State? I kind of like what I've seen from you so far this year. For whatever reason, it's not as fraudulent as I thought it. If I as I thought it was last season, getting three and a half at home against an Ohio State team who is very good, but I'm still gonna I'm gonna bank on I'm gonna bank on the bad karma still from all the Ohio State theft with Urban Meyer. It didn't really matter against Tulane, even though I'm not the biggest fan of. Penn State's head coach, which his name is James Franklin. I I don't really particularly think he's that great of a coach, to be honest with you. I, you know what? I probably shouldn't say that because I don't have any really good evidence to back it up. I think mainly 2017 is my evidence because even though they were so highly ranked, to me they just there's something about them. I just I didn't like, but for some reason I like him right now. I actually, uh, you know, I got I like I got like one of these games right, so I. For, you know, screw it. I like Penn State plus three and a half over Ohio State. Grant, what about you? I lean Penn State. Um, Trace McSorley has never lost a game at home. Penn State is is good. S and P really likes them. Uh, S and P likes Ohio State to win this game by two point nine points. Um, so they, they like Penn State to cover. Um, I'm, you know, I I do lean Penn State, and I, I just I'm going to bring up what you said at the beginning of the season. I I still just think there there's just some there's just some bad karma that's going to be lurking, you know, beneath Ohio state this season. Um, and when you go to happy Valley at night and it's a whiteout, I mean, things can get weird. Lee, Nick Bosa is not playing in this game. Trace McSorley is a good player. Um, you know, and Penn state's a good team. And when you got to go on the road at night at Penn state, that's just never, that's never easy. I think Ohio state has, has, you know, has clearly been the second best team in college football this year. Uh, but I just this is more of just a belief in Penn State and how difficult it is to play there. I 
I used to really bag on Trace McSorley. I think that guy's just a play. He's a good player. Um, he's he's not going to have any success in the NFL player. or he's anything. Just, but no, he's yeah. he, he's he's a good player. He's a really good college player. When I watch him, he he makes he makes some good plays, but he always seems to leave a handful of throws and plays on the table where he's just he's not as precise as I'd like him to be. And maybe that's just because I've watched Baker Mayfield for so many years and I just have incredibly high standards, but sometimes like he'll there'll be like about five throws a game and he he tempts you know 25 30 passes there'll be five throws a game where it's just it's he's not as precise and he misses a throw that he should have made and against good teams like ohio state that worries me um so that's that's there's always something kind of missing there with trace mcsorley even though he is one of the best quarterbacks in college football i mean the guy was a three-star recruit so it's not like he was super hugely recruited i mean he's not supposed to be some great elite athlete quarterback the guys the guy's poise is really underrated um and i think that's a that's an underrated quality for a lot of college quarterbacks is just their poise and, and how they handle pressure trace mcsorley has has handled pressure again and again in his career this is a guy who's been in a ton of close games um he hasn't always come through but i mean that that guy never blinks um and that guy just, he's a competitor and i think he there's a lot of holes in his game um he's he's just he's a good college player man and so when you when you put you know some talented guys around him like Penn State's been able to do, you know some some good things can happen. So I, I think Ohio State I lean Ohio State to win this game, um, but I I, th- I think this is going to be a really close game. Like I, this is this th- this is absolutely the game of the week. This this is this has kind of the makings of a classic. I'm really excited to watch this game. What's your S and P before we go? What's your S and P saying about Penn State's defense this season? They are. Oh, give me one second. Because that was the the main thing that kept Penn State so viable last year is it was actually Penn State's defense that made them incredibly good. It what it, it, the offense was was above average, but it wasn't like up to the elite standards of some of the other teams in the college football. Lee, they are twenty uh, second defensive S and P. They're fifth offensive S and P. Okay, good. Good thing is though with Penn State they still haven't really played anybody. The best team they played this this year by far probably the first game they were App State. App State twentieth overall in S and P. App State's a good team. I mean, I mean they were that was I mean a game App State probably should have won that game. And also I mean and it's they, it's 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 also really fair to you know to say too Lee that Penn State was legitimately losing to Illinois entering the fourth quarter on Friday night last week and they yeah. and they ended up somehow winning by thirty nine points. Yeah, it was a it was a horrible beat if you had Penn uh, if you had Illinois plus twenty eight. Just an incredibly terrible beat. Hilarious. Which, I'm, uh, I'm so I did not. I had yeah. uh, I had Penn. That was on the other side of it. That was great. That was a, <laughs> a I great st- W. I, I stayed as far away from that game as humanly possible. I, I don't. I don't. I don't like that. Put- was part of my uh, you know part of my like I'm going to start back in Penn State and I was like you know what I backed them the week prior when they beat the crap out of Kent State and like covered a thirty something point spread. I was like you know what. Illinois and, and Lovey Smith is a really bad coach. I they're going to cover that too, and they almost didn't. And then Illinois and coached by Lovey Smith just absolutely imploded at home, and it was kind of funny. <laughs> it wasn't kind of funny. It was very funny. And by the way, Lovey Smith looks like he's aged about forty years since he stopped coaching the Bears and the Bucks. Did you see him with that white beard? Yeah, it was weird. I didn't like it. It's just weird. It's an interesting look. Like every time I see him, I, I see him every once in a while because I, I like the Bears and they'll talk about. It. It's like, ah, what a what an interesting look you've gone gone with Lovey Smith. All right, that's it for today. I got we went a little longer than I thought we'd go. Uh, hopefully, you all enjoy OU Baylor this Saturday for Grant. I am Lee. This is West of Everest.